Petrocast. Pleasant persistence, I think, can really help a business owner. And I do mean pleasant persistence. You don't want to rock the boat or or turn anybody off. But, you know, if somebody tells you, call you back in a month or two, just, hey, is this a good time or would you like me to call back? You know, I think um, the marketplace and future partners and clients really appreciate the pleasant persistence. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey everyone, our guest today is Ivan Demosten. Ivan is the CEO of Hamilton Demo, and he's an expert when it comes to matching great talent with great companies. In this show, we chat about diversity and why most companies fail at it, Ivan's number one tip for success, and why your business needs to have its story nailed. This is a fun conversation with Ivan. I know you're going to enjoy it. So let's start chatting with him now. Hey, Ivan, thanks for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tyler. Thanks for having me. It's always a little bit, makes me a little uh, nervous. I started out the show saying your name wrong, so I we had to redo it, so I apologize. But I'm excited to have you on the show. I'd love to start with, what do you do? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so you know, I like to tell people that deep down inside, I'm a sales guy. I've been selling and doing sales for over 30 years. And over the course of my career, I fell into the recruitment space, the human capital space. And so I've been providing executive search, placement, recruiting services and support to organizations for the past five years under my own company. I've got uh, 18 years, going on 20 years of experience, started off with career builder, which gave me a little bit different perspective, you know, in 2005, we were just coming off the Y2K and all that great stuff. Automation was coming in, applicant tracking systems, career sites were all coming into play. Emails were a big thing, right? Uh, companies had started implementing all, all this technology. So I, I've got a really great perspective in, in assisting companies with all the back office, all the back electronic and services that they need for compliance, recruiting, onboarding, et cetera. And uh, yeah, just help consult my my clients in the recruiting space and uh, help create candidate pipeline. So Career Builder, at least at the time, I'm not sure about now. I think was a growing, pretty decent sized company. What made you decide to go from Career Builder, which I would feel is somewhat of a stable environment, to wanting to start your own business? I'm just we'll push that. Yeah. So actually, when I started Career Builder, it was a fast moving, fast-growing company. Monster was the big name right. in the space, right? And actually, at that time, there was a little fledgling website called LinkedIn that wanted to connect people. And so I'll tell you, Tyler, being a salesperson, Career Builder was probably one of the best, uh, most invigorating sales companies I've ever had the opportunity to be a part of. These guys from the receptionist, when you walked in all the way to the CEO, everyone's focus was about selling and closing business. So I stayed there for 
two and a half years. And, you know, through some reorg, that's one of the things when you're a growing company, my timing was, was up. <laughs> it was my turn. And then literally within a few days of me leaving career builder, one of my clients reached out to me and I had to give him the bad news that I was no longer at career builder. So he called monster because he was doing business solely with career builder. He called monster and uh, told monster if they wanted his business, then they would hire me. <laughs> and then I was hired two weeks later. <laughs> wow. At monster. Yeah. And uh, the timing was great because Monster at the time was going through a sales expansion because Career Builder was making up a lot of ground. As a matter of fact, it got to the point where they overtook them for a little bit. And so Monster came in, expanded their sales force. And I was part of that very first class. It was, there was only like eight of us and I was the first hire. And uh, yeah, stayed with them for about six years. And then something gave you the bug. What was that bug where you wanted to start a business? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I've always had a bit of entrepreneurial spirit within me, you know, doing things along the way over my 30 years. But at one time I was in my office and someone knocked on my door and introduced himself to me. And next thing you know, we became became friends. We got a rapport and, you know, he uh, confided in me that he would hear me on the phone talking to clients and doing cold calls. And he started dreaming about how uh, the two of us could get together mm-hmm. and, and create a business. And next thing you know, we took a napkin at a Starbucks and, and uh, off we went. And uh, the rest is history. So it was really, yeah, I needed a little nudging at that point to get to where I am today. But again, I ha- I've always had a bit of that entrepreneurial spirit and um, it's been going great ever since. Yeah. See, I love stories like that. So you got you got poked a little bit. I mean, you had it inside of you, but you needed it to kind of be poked a little bit and then that got you running. Now, are you still involved with that partner or did you guys go different ways? Yeah, we actually separated at the beginning of the year, uh, the separation. So it was uh, final then, but uh, yeah, we're still friends. And uh, quite frankly, we started, uh, it was five years ago, and I think the pandemic really took a toll on us, right? So yep. with our business plan, my area of expertise and uh, my network is primarily in enterprise companies. I've worked with organizations that are regional to international companies that are over a million employees to Walmart. And, you know, we had some big, we had some big dreams and we were really focusing that first two years on bringing in some big names, which we did. And then pandemic happened and everything came to a screaming halt. Right. So let me, let me, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I want to dig a little bit. You know, when we talk about partnerships, sometimes they work great. Oftentimes they don't. I would say they probably more often don't than they do. Are there any takeaways that you can share with us? from establishing a partnership of what you'd look for if you had to do it all over again? Oh, yeah. So I would say the very first thing you need to do, because I think partnerships are great, but you need to have it all in right. You need to have very, very, very defined roles or at least expectations of what you are going to do at the moment and moving forward and in the future, right? Sure, allow for some change. And for some adjustments, but 
I think when when we were together and when we were at our best, I knew exactly what he was doing every day. He knew exactly what I was doing every day. You know, if an opportunity came in and it was for a particular role, then I would come in. If it was for something else around accounting, because he was more of a had more of an accounting mindset, I'd make sure that he was involved. We knew exactly where our strengths were and what we were responsible for. And uh, it played well, but you need to have it written down. You need to agree on it. And you know what, when you're, especially when you're dealing with friends, it's probably good not to assume that, you know, things are always going to just check in uh, maybe once a year, once every other year, you know, just check in and make sure you're right where you are. But I think with your business plan, you ideally go, you know, having an MBA, you're supposed to do that anyway, but I think enthusiasm takes over. Absolutely. Right. And uh, it's not as easy as it sounds to sit down with your partner and, you know, carve out your roles. Yeah. And one thing I'll say, just the advice you just gave is cold. One, get it in writing. And then two, which I, I think business in general skip this step a lot. At least I see this when new clients come in, in my own client base, is that whether it be quarterly, semi-annual, annual type of strategy meetings where key people might be ownership, partnership, it might be the leadership team, where they're having these strategic meetings of, are we going in the right direction as a group? Are we all on the same page? Are we aligned? Basically, do we have you know do we have adequate resources, adequate capital for where we want to take? And I think sometimes those conversations get missed. And it sounds like you're saying like maybe if you added that element in a partnership, it could probably solidify the partnership even more. Am I am I reading that right? Yeah, it can solidify even more. And I think it can actually help you accelerate your business because you're not always coming back and trying to, hey, is this cool with you? Sorry, you know, hey, let me get your buy-in. You can move quicker. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Hey, I want to shift gears. So thanks for your transparency on that. I want to talk about just a little bit about your own business. What do you find is one of the biggest challenges or challenges you're facing when it comes to scaling your own organization? Does something stand out that you can share? Yeah, you know what, Tyler? I got to tell you, I don't think I'm going to give you the answer that you want because we're really just coming off of of a pandemic. And that's been, I've got nothing really to compare it to in my, not only in my experience, but in the textbooks and history. I will say, as I started to share with you, uh, we had some pretty big clients our first couple of years that we were teeing up for some huge things. And pandemic came and not only did they come to a halt, but everybody moved, people got laid off, people quit. And the opportunity for us was we couldn't sit down and just wait for things to change. We had to find ways to gain business. And so fortunately, although things came to to a halt, we had to start all over, but we started, we kept on making progress, right? And it was new ideas, new clients, new outreach. And I think the activity that we put behind everything, even when birds were chirping, the world didn't know where they were going to be. We didn't stop calling people. Right. So that really helped us and provided us some growth. Now, did it happen as quickly as we wanted it to to happen because of everything? No. But I can tell you now the phone is ringing off the hook and companies are planning for the next six months, for the next year, for the next two years. And we are positioning ourselves to be 
where we need to be to assist those companies and really help drive our business to the next level. So although we've had modest growth, I'm really excited because we are we've outpaced ourselves again from where we were last year. So we're anticipating another 15 to 20% growth year over year uh, for 2022. And then next year, we're hoping to double based on the, the amount of uh, prospects we have to uh, bring into the fold. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, a pandemic is one of your challenges, which lines up with actually a lot of businesses. So you're not the only one. But it's interesting about staffing in general. You can lay out plans. You can lay out, you know, you're you're somewhat of a victim of the economy, if you will. Yeah. I used to always say this because, you know, I used to be in staffing. I used to have my own staffing firm and it was around, you know, hey, you can lay out a lot of plans, but I always put the disclaimer, the, the economy has to cooperate because if it doesn't, really hard in staffing. If people aren't hiring, it's probably kind of like real estate in a way. People aren't buying. It doesn't really matter how much work you're doing. I mean, you can lay the groundwork, but kind of freezes your business. Well, yeah. And there's... So another part, that challenge with the pandemic, it's kind of put everything into play, right? Everything comes correct. Well, we knew 20 years ago that there was a brain drain, that there was a potential brain drain, that based on the way our country's going, we're going to be short people, right? And then uh, you put into it, when I first started, uh, recruiters and heads of TA, talent acquisition, they would tell me, hey, if you ever send me a candidate with less than five years of experience at one company, I'm just going to throw it in the trash can. Now, you see almost every resume with less than five years, less than two years, going from one job to another job. And then you throw in people who don't want to work for anybody anymore. What, you know, they, they're doing all these gig jobs, right? So it's all these things where I think my company plays a role because now I can match and connect these candidates with the opportunities. And now I can teach them and, and they can learn about what the company is all about, not just in a corporate setting, but culturally and make sure that's a cultural fit for them, that it's it's something and it's a company that they believe in. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there. But yeah, we're in a we're in a weird space. And my friend, we didn't even talk about technology, how that all plays, right? Right. Right. How to even get the message out there. I mean, I see so many organizations that are preferred employers, but they're not they're missing out on opportunities because they're just sitting there expecting people to come knocking on their door. They're still not doing the work where everybody else competing for the same people are making sure that they're in front of these people. So it makes it easier for them to express interest. So there's a lot of things going on right now. Before we go there, I want to touch one thing you just brought up. Are you seeing within your client base companies still, assuming the job doesn't require it, there's certain jobs you have to do on site. I get that. But requiring employees to be on site, whereas employees right now, you know, very much are thinking remote. Do you have that dynamic happening at all? Or are you finding most of your clients are being a lot more flexible? Tyler, great, great question. They are more flexible. 100% there are more remote and hybrid opportunities out there than there were a few years ago. 100%. But they still want employees in the office. And I will say, even for a lot of the hybrid roles, they prefer those individuals to be 
within driving distance. You know, if they're asking them to come in the office twice a week, they want them close. And when I say close, like within 30 miles, like maybe an hour or two is too far. So yeah, you're seeing it. There's definitely more remote opportunities for sure, but there's still a strong sense that the work environment needs their people there to make it to make it work. And they need everybody there at the same time. So there may not be anyone there on Tuesday, but they'll have everybody come in on Wednesday, right? So are you finding candidates? Because, you know, 10 years ago, if I go back 10 years ago, people would ask for remote, but, you know, nine out of 10 times, they would cave pretty quickly. It didn't exist too much. Are you finding candidates a lot more firm about, hey, it's either remote or partially remote, or I'm not even interested? Yeah. You know, like I said, I mentioned the gig roles. Yeah. There's a lot more gig roles. And for those in your audience that aren't familiar with that, the most common is Uber. But imagine a, a more professional. What, and actually, I know business owners that do a lot of Uber and Lyft, right? But then there's a lot of these temp roles where companies are looking at projects. And then those type of project type opportunities play better to the remote opportunities to work. But then again, they're short term, right? They're anywhere from a few months to a year, year and a half. And uh, yeah, so I think making the candidate aware of what they have and looking in the right place, because you're right, it's a candidate's market, but there's still not a lot of budge there. The corporate side is still a little slow in accommodating for candidates. Hey, this is Tyler. Oftentimes, business owners and entrepreneurs hire me because they are stuck. Their business is stuck. They've hit a wall and can't take their business to the next level. And they're frustrated. When I grew my second business, it took me a while to get the pieces to fit. But once they did, the business scaled fast. In fact, it grew to $25 million in annual revenue and ultimately sold for eight figures. So I decided to put together a roadmap for scaling a business. I want to help stuck business owners that want to scale, but are having challenges. It's called the Scale in 5 Roadmap, and you can get a copy by doing the following. Text the number 55444 and type the word SCALE and hit send. A copy of the roadmap will be sent to your inbox. It's a candidate's market, but there's still not a lot of budge there. The corporate side is still a little slow in accommodating for candidates. Got it. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit. You have an expertise in diversity, and it's obviously an extremely important topic. Where I wanted to start is if companies were more interested in being diverse, and that was something that was important to them, what steps should they take? I mean, what would you advise a company that says, hey, I want to be more diverse. I just don't know how to do it, or I'm not seeing the candidate flow or whatever. Yeah. So Tyler, great question. I don't want to oversimplify it, right. but 100% the commitment to diversity is important. And I will tell you, I'll give you an example. You may appreciate this story. I had two clients, one limited brands and one was Macy's. I did very well with them while I was at Monster. Uh, very close to, to some of those people even still today. And the diversity at limited brands was completely different than what diversity was at Macy's. So limited brands had 92 to 93% women working there. And so they sought out men. They wanted men to work there. Like any guy that walked in there, they, 
they could have their choice of jobs because they they sought it out so much. At Macy's, it was completely different, right? They had 60% men, 40% women, and they didn't have a lot of women in the executive roles. And they wanted to bring more diversity into their, their retail places. And that included everything from cultural, racial, those with disabilities, and those over 55 years old, right? They wanted people to come in from everywhere. And so I share that with you because you need to define it, right? Define what it what it means to you. And then quite frankly, Tyler, once you're able to do that, because you put the diversity label on it, it's really allowing you to look at other pools of candidates that you weren't looking at before. And I dare say, whatever company you are, the way that you're doing it now, if you would just open up your your marketing, your your talent acquisition marketing, and look at other places to recruit from, you're going to get a whole other pipeline of candidates that you've never had before. That's diversity. Bring them in. And for companies that are having a hard time finding people, I think that's very important for them to know. Because if you keep going to the same well over and over, you're just going to get the same, same people. And after an amount of time, you're going to just reach the same people over and over again, where, you know, you've already seen them. You may not, you may not have an interest in you go to the well down the street or around the corner. Now you've got a whole new well of people to go after. So to me, that's what diversity is. And you're opening yourself up to 30, 40% more candidates and uplift in that candidate pipeline, which can really benefit an organization. Gosh, I love that answer. So Define is, it sounds like you're saying is a key ingredient. Would you also add to that maybe like commit? Because I think define, obviously defining it, but don't they have to kind of commit to it too? Yes, 100%. It's, you have to commit to it. And just like anything else, when you do something different, there's a tendency to revert back to the old, doing the way that you did things. So commitment is, is really very important. You, You hit that right on the head. Yeah, that's a great one. So, hey, continuing shifting gears here. So I want to talk about using recruiting services. So using a firm such as yours, like what would be the benefits? Why should a company use an external source as opposed to trying to do it in-house? What do you think it brings to them and, and what's in it for them? Yeah. So my friend, I get it. Sometimes uh, you see a price tag on something and you're like, I'm not paying that, you know? Right. And uh there's a tendency that you feel that you could do it yourself, right? And unfortunately, and fortunately for me, that kind of plays into my hands in a really good way. You know, it's always better that if I can get in there sooner, but usually there's a lot of pain in the process by the time that I get in. That's because they've all, companies have already wasted a lot of time, resources, and money looking for a role or roles that they're having difficulty for. I would tell organizations benefit. I can save you money. The sooner you come to me, the more time, effort, and money I'll be able to sell you. And so take that into account. Very simply, there's a cost to hire. And that cost to hire can range from any amount of money that you could possibly think of. But when you talk about lost revenue, manpower hours, you know, not what does that look like not having that person in that role? How much money are you losing 
because that person's not there, whether it's compliance, whether it's operations, whether it's sales. Quite frankly, if I have a price tag that's in the five digits for a chief commerce officer, by the time you get to me, you've probably gotten into the six digits of lost opportunity, revenue, et cetera, and what it ultimately has cost you. So I would say come to me as soon as you can or use a, a search firm that you're comfortable with. So that's another thing too. I think one of the things I've found is that I'm really big into relationships. And holy cow, when I can create that relationship and, and make that client feel comfortable, they are so appreciative at the end of the day. I mean, it's almost like it's Christmas time. So I would share with your listeners, if, they're, if they are thinking or they feel like they need a, a lead or um, someone to help them, go to someone that you trust. You know, find that, find that organization, find someone that can introduce you to it so you can feel comfortable with them so that, um, you know, that then everything that happens can really be a future asset to you as well, right? A future resource. You can go back to that person anytime and every time you need that type of service. Got it. Got it. So in regards to the labor market itself, you know, I know when we were coming out post pandemic, I'd say it was pretty tight, a lot of jobs. Would you still say it's that way? Is it loosening up a little bit? How's supply and demand as far as candidates available and jobs uh, looking to be filled? Yeah. So there are tons of jobs out there, Tyler. There's tons. I mean, yeah, there's tons of jobs. Like I said, I think our companies are having a hard time kind of figuring out how to attract the talent, the great resignation. I believe a lot of those people are doing the gig roles in various ways that they're sitting by waiting for the right opportunity. They can sit and wait. So the great resignation, I think it's relative. I think it's uh, it's more of like a great sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, for example, earlier this year, um, excuse me, last year, late last year, I uh, placed a candidate that was over 70 years old. Wow. Right. And the more and more I mentioned Macy's, I've gone to Macy's and, and seen people that are older. I'm seeing more people well into their 70s that are working and they're not they're not working shaking hands or you know stamping envelopes they're they're in offices and they're consulting they're doing some pretty heavy duty stuff so i think there's there's an opportunity for companies to really kind of help themselves out more to find ways to attract those diverse candidates that they may not have really thought about before they they need to change a little bit of their approach now. So we're getting close to wrapping up here. I'm wondering if you can, uh, for those mid-market companies, small companies that maybe don't have the powerful branding, like some of the companies that you've named, can you give me three things? And we'll start with the first. The first is maybe change who your market is, who you're targeting as far as candidates being open-minded. Maybe it's older candidates. So that'd be one. Do you think you give me two others? So a total of three. What are three things that a medium-sized company, a small company can do to attract or be prepared to take on better candidates? Ah, Tyler, I love that question. So let me share with you. So when I told you how my company has been been able to do well, it's been coming from the small and medium-sized companies. And 
I'm out sharing their story and they didn't even realize that they had a story to tell, right? So you share that story that resonates with individuals, right? So you're a small company with 15, 20 people providing social services to youths in Hamilton County. Wow. Tell me who this is again. Yeah, we're this company. So I would tell your your medium-sized companies, start talking more about yourself. Talk about all the great things that you're doing. Talk about how you're how you're reaching the community or how you're reaching the marketplace. And again, from what I've seen is even if you don't realize that it's a great story, other people are going to are going to connect with it. And that's what I've found. So come up with the story. The third thing I would say is act quickly, right? Because everybody is competing for the same person. If you have an opportunity to speak with someone, don't wait two or three weeks to speak with that person because they will be gone. If someone has expressed interest um, in as an active candidate, act quickly. If someone was referred to you as a passive candidate, act quickly. Because that person has a passive candidate, if somebody referred that person to you, they probably referred him to somebody else too. And, and things are happening so quick these days. I'd say try to give yourself um, a time frame of anywhere from 48 to 72 hours, if not sooner, to be able to reach out to, to uh, the candidate to help you with, with moving things along quickly. Cool. So number one, open your range of candidates that you're willing to consider for opportunities. Number two is have a story and share it. And number three is to act quickly. So those are, I think, the three that we just discussed just to kind of wrap them up. Yeah, definitely. And I think they'll, uh, I think your listeners will really be pleasantly surprised sharing that story. I think that's a game changer in itself. Got it. Love those powerful tips. Hey, I want to end with one thing that I usually ask of most guests. And that's if you have a business or a life tip that you can share with us that you've learned along the way that hopefully we can apply as to our own lives or business and be a little better. Yeah. So Tyler, thank you. I've, I'm asked that a lot. And, uh, you know, just, I think it's, it's simple. You just try to do the best that you can at the time. You know, life is life. A lot of things get uh, thrown at us. And, uh, you know, you learn. You're learning as you go along. So, yeah, just do the best that you can at at the time and and, uh, try to learn from whatever you're doing so you can be that that much more prepared and better for the next opportunity. And uh, gosh, my friend, you know, pleasant persistence, I think, can really help a business owner, you know. And I do mean pleasant persistence. You don't, you don't want to rock the boat or, or turn anybody off. But, you know, if somebody tells you, call you back in a month or two, just, you know, hey, is this a good time or would you like me to call back? I think the marketplace and uh, future partners and clients really appreciate the pleasant persistence. Because just because it's not an opportunity now doesn't mean that two, three years from now, it can't work. So, yeah, that's gold. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, sharing my story, be, uh, resilience is also key. You got to be resilient. Yeah. I chuckle. You started this show saying you're a sales guy at heart. You ended this show 
with persistence as one of your uh, life tips. Well, doesn't that... I, I had to not laugh. I, I think I even had to mute myself because it's so, so appropriate. But you're right. I mean, that all three that you just shared are, are really good stuff. But the persistence, I see this a lot among whether it be salespeople, business owners, whoever, where we just give up. I mean, in fact, I was looking at clients' uh, flowchart the other day and they had flowcharted out the lead follow-up process. And after 90 days, they considered it dead. And these were for large projects. And I'm like, no, like the lead isn't dead after 90 days. Things happen, budgets happen. Sometimes, you know, budgets can take a year even or even more in, yeah. in different cases. But it's just that persistence is just the gold. Yeah. Tyler, you bring up a great point because I think I find in small and medium-sized companies and businesses that have been around for a while, when you start talking to them and getting to know them, and trying to figure out what makes them successful, they can't afford to give up, right? True. If they've got a lead, they can't afford to just get, yeah, they just keep it in the cooler for the moment. Right. And then they circle back to it. But yeah, they can't afford to, to give up. So yeah, always happy to kind of give, give that perspective and uh, remind myself and others of that as well. Very cool. Hey, so your website is hamiltondemo.com. HamiltonDemo.com. I'll put all your links in the show notes at thinktyler.com. If people wanted to reach out to you or say hello, is there any other place you'd like them to go? Yes. Yeah, so actually, I'm pretty simple. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. And recently, I spoke to uh, my my PR contact. So I'm going to take a leap of faith and, and create a, uh, an Instagram profile. So there'll <laughs> be an Instagram profile soon. Uh, I hope my kids don't laugh and make fun of me, but yeah, it's, I think, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, it's been around a while. I think people have, have heard about it, so it might be worth doing it. Yeah. And if you go out to any of those locations, you'll see that not only do I have my email, Ivan at HamiltonDemo.com, but uh, I also have my phone number out there. So that's 513-257-9683. And always happy to, to uh, hear from individuals who are curious or just wanting to chat and do some discovery. So please feel free to call me. Beautiful. So I'll put those in the show notes. Hey, Ivan, you're awesome to talk with. Shared a lot of knowledge, a lot of, a lot of different things that we can apply. So appreciate it. Look forward to having you on in the future. Thanks again for your time. Oh, thank you, Tyler. And uh, hey, let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. Take care. Ivan. Yeah, take care. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric cast. 
there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric acid. Electric acid.